1094 in the Church Bible. <coughs> One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, 
have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Well, good morning, everyone. A, a cold? Men don't have colds. This, this, was, this was man flu. This was really... It, it was like that at one point, I tell you. But no, it was, uh, it was a birthday present I did not really want. But, uh, so, uh, anyway, it's there. In fact, it's been quite difficult, really, concentrating and focusing this week. Uh, at one point, I thought there was less chance of me delivering this message than the government was of delivering Brexit. But uh, hopefully we'll both succeed. So, praise the Lord. And there are no rumours that Boots have now got a branch on King's Ash Road. It's just, you need things, don't you? So, praise the Lord. Well, what a wonderful passage, um, Acts 3. Thank you, Valerie, for sharing that. Lovely, lovely passage. And... uh, uh, just in another example of the incredible power of the name of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who was crucified, rose on the third day after 40 days, ascended to the right hand of the Father. But before he went, he gathered the twelve together and he commends them with these words. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, And to the end of the earth. And at last the disciples did as they were told. And they waited. And he came. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Praise the Lord. Pentecost. The church's birthday. Happened. Peter. I love Peter. There's so many things you can relate to Peter. He speaks first. Acts first. And then thinks later. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches his first sermon. The result, 3,000 or so men plus the women and possibly children, 3,000 plus, gave their lives unto the Lord Jesus. They repented, they responded, they believed and they received I still have a copy of the first sermon I ever preached way back in the 1980s, and I cringe when I read it. Um, it was sort of, uh, uh, I, I, when I look up, but, you know, we sort of, we're, a work, we're all a work in progress anyway. Um, but I don't think many could say on the first sermon that 3,000 uh, were born again 
and filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, in today's passage in Acts 3, we see in that verse 1, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which, as we heard in the reading from Valerie, uh, was three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, these were Peter and John, disciples, apostles of the Lord Jesus. But they were Jews, and they still maintained some of the traditions of the faith uh, that they held fast to. And it was the custom, and off they went to the temple for three o'clock worship. Just like any other day, yet this day would be like none other for many, but in particular for one man. Sitting at the temple gate, the gate beautiful, was a man whose name we don't know, but what we do know about him, this nameless man, was he was a paralytic. He had never, ever been able to walk a step from his birth. You know, I love it. When the Lord wants us to know something, he puts it in. There are so many things we don't know. We say, oh, uh, you know, I was listening to some debate the other day about about the things that are not recorded. We don't have to worry about what God hasn't told us. He's told us all we need to know in this wonderful word. We haven't got the man's name. But we know that he's never, ever been able to walk a single step. His purpose for being there was to seek charity, was to seek a handout for those who were, as was Peter and John, going into the temple. Seeking charity, that was his only way of of sustaining um, his life. He's seeking them from the gathering worshippers. It's strange that even today there are many people come to the church. We've had them here in the years. I've had them in different churches over the country. And uh, they come along at a service time. And what they're actually looking for, they're looking for a handout because they know that Christians should be charitable. Uh, Up in Manchester, there was a Christian World Centre up on Deansgate there, one of the massive Christian bookshops. And people... Uh, beggars used to linger around there and come with some sob story because they know there was pretty good chance that uh, these godly people, these church people, uh, would be generous and charitable. And then along comes Peter and John. And he's asking for money. He's asking for a handout. And yet he receives something even more precious Something more precious, something more valuable than he could ever have anticipated. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for arms, he asked for money, he asked for a handout. Fixing his eyes on him um, with John, Peter said, Look at us, give us your attention. Give us your attention. Is that something you and I could say? Is that something we can say when we stand up and be counted as Christians? Do our lives reflect the fact that something incredible has happened? That we have had a life-changing experience when we met with the risen Lord? Can we say as Peter and John, look at us, look at us. Because sadly, the church, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is so often the worst possible advertisement 
for a life-changing experience. But there they say, Peter and John. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Well, he didn't get what he wanted, but he got something that he really needed. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. You see, you cannot give what you haven't got. It's a fact. You cannot give. If I haven't got a thousand pound in my back pocket, I haven't got anything, any. But <laughs> if I couldn't give you what I haven't got. None of us can. But here they have. Such as I have, I give you in the name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Then the miracle happened. Praise the Lord. He's overwhelmed with praise and joy. I thought we might have had that song this morning. Uh, Peter and John went to pray, leaping and jumping and praising God. We could have had a go, couldn't we? Perhaps I wouldn't have done, but anyway. But that lovely little children's song, based truly on that, because there he is. We don't know his age, but however old he was, he's never, ever, ever put a foot to the floor. Do you know, it's been lovely. Um, Jenny was praying for our children. It's been lovely. We can see the, we, we have the little babies. And then they start crawling about. And there's little Ezra. Just a few weeks' time, he'll be walking up and down as well. And it's wonderful how, how this cycle of growth in a child happens. But this man had never, ever, ever had that same experience. He had been carried about all his life. This was no secret. This wasn't something that was hidden in some little back street, some back room out of public sight. This was done openly and publicly. And very quickly a large crowd gathered, saw the miracle and was just filled with wonder and amazement. The result? Everybody happy. Well, we know the man was. He was jumping and screaming and praising God. No wonder. What about the crowd? They were filled with wonder and amazement. Well, it hadn't finished there. Because Peter was going to use this opportunity. He was going to use this opportunity to glorify the Lord Jesus through this miracle, this incredible act and he tells them, and we see it in verse 12 there, in that same passage. When Peter saw it, he saw how the people were, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as if by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? They're saying, look, it's nothing to do with us. We're the messenger boys. I remember one day when Billy Graham was being interviewed on British television, one of the evening chat shows, um, and uh, they said, uh, excuse me, uh, Dr. Graham, how many people have you saved? He said, not a single one. 
Uh, and the, the, the commentator, the interviewer was, excuse me, but you've been conducting um, evangelistic mission uh, since the late 1940s to crowds of hundreds of thousands. And you say you've not saved anyone. No, not a one. I'm just the messenger boy. It is God who saves through Jesus. And this is exactly what Peter and John are saying, why, why are you so amazed? I can't make that man heal. I can't heal him. I can't make him walk. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we've commanded him to get up and to walk. Praise the Lord. And then he presents them. He's going to pour cold water, actually, onto their excitement, onto the zeal of the moment, onto all the enthusiasts. He's going to intervene. He's going to cool things down a little bit. Because we see, and I'm not going to read uh, verse by verse, but what they did, and he's talking about the Jews, he's talking about the Israelites, he's talking about them and their forefathers. They delivered up Jesus to the Gentiles. For trial. They denied him in the presence of Pontius Pilate. Pilate was determined to release Jesus. Even his wife had said, You know, I've had a dream, there's nothing, with, you know, and if you don't, she's not even going to believe his wife, you know, come on, there's something serious. And Pilate knew that he was innocent, but he was a coward. He wouldn't stand up. He wouldn't stand for the truth. They denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to release him. They denied that he was the Holy One and the just. And in his place, they asked that a convicted murderer, who was Barabbas, be released. Oh, how quickly it had changed from, Hosanna, save we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a week later... Crucify him and free Barabbas. Oh, how fickle is man and his feelings. And then he puts the final nail, just like the nails in the cross. They killed the prince of life. And then he goes on to say, but it doesn't end there. Because by contrast, God's treatment of Jesus, he raised him from the dead. Praise the Lord. And then he glorified his servant and his son, Jesus. How wonderful. And his name through faith in this man, the name of Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, you do know him. It's the same one. He's here every week, possibly every day. You have seen him and you know him. And this is the faith. This faith which comes through him has given this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. You know, I've been in meetings that were classed as healing meetings. And, and I've seen some dear blue rins come to the front. Uh, and uh, the, the, the man has said, you know, what's the matter? My, oh, it's my arthritis. Oh, yeah, we're going to pray for arthritis. Lay hands. And how's that? Oh, is it just a little bit? I don't. I think. Praise the Lord! She's healed, and she limps back just the same as she came up. But here is the miracle: when Jesus heals, He heals completely, instantly, and miraculously. Praise the Lord! Here is the evidence of the power of His name. Yet now, brothers, 
He's giving them a lifeline. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. You were ignorant, and they were ignorant, because they had not got a clue. Previously, Jesus had declared, you are in error, for you know not the scriptures or the power of God. This was Jesus to the leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. These 50 men who were supposed to be the spokesmen for the Lord. And Jesus said, you haven't got a clue. You know not the scriptures, nor the power of God. You're ignorant. Earlier when Jesus, in his three years of ministry, he'd had the disciples here, there, and everywhere. And he knew They were getting tired. And he took them aside to a beautiful place called Caesarea Philippi on the lower slopes of Mount Hermon on the north of Galilee. He didn't take them for a sightseeing place to this beautiful lush and green place. He took them because he wanted their full attention. And Jesus, now Jesus and his disciples went out uh, to the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? There was no escape. Go on, who do men say that I am? Uh, And Peter answered and said, uh, uh, sorry, and then they answered, John the Baptist. And some say, Elijah. And some say, Uh, you're one of the prophets and Jesus he said to them who do you say that I am who do you say that I am Peter answered and said to him you are the Christ the son of the living God you see they were ignorant here is Jesus performing these incredible miracles preaching the gospel Teaching to crowds, raising the dead, healing the sick, delivering the evil spirits. And they say, oh, it might be John the Baptist. Or or is it Elijah? Elijah had been dead a long, long time. They were ignorant. They had not got a clue who this Jesus really, really was. And who could not be moved by the words of the Savior from the cross. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Forgive them, Lord. They haven't got a clue who I am. They wouldn't be killing me if it was otherwise. Forgive them, Father. If they know not what they do. They are ignorant. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord. If they had known who he was, they would not have crucified the Lord. And yet, even Paul, thank God for Paul, even he confessed that he was in the same situation at one time. And when he's writing to his young son in the faith, young Timothy, his trainee pastor, and he says this, Timothy... I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Great. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violently arrogant man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly 
and in unbelief. What a confession. I did all these things. I was a blasphemer. I was a violently arrogant man. And God forgave me. His grace, excuse me, was extended to me because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief, just the same as the people who Peter was now addressing in Jerusalem. This is generally man's condition today. They are ignorant, absolutely ignorant as to who Jesus really is. Because if they knew, oh my friends, there would not be enough buildings in this land to fill because they would be so filled with people wanting to get together and worship it. This is what happens when there is revival. When there is revival. You look at the history books and you see the revivals in Wales and Northumberland and different parts. And what happens? The Holy Spirit of God sweeps through the land and convicts and convinces men in their ignorance that Christ is the Saviour. He is, is, as he says, the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything. A man's condition today, the majority of the world's population are living in ignorance. Many are just agnostic, which means the Greek word for without knowledge. There are very few who could genuinely claim to be atheists although there are growing movements within the humanist movement, but there are very few who believe in absolutely nothing, if they're really honest. The majority are ignorant and agnostic. They don't know, but they don't want to know. William Jenkins said this, Ignorance is the beaten path to hell. Ignorance is the beaten path to hell. Once again, it was in our newspapers this week, the uh, top ten of funeral hymns, and uh, secular hymns are overtaking, secular songs are overtaking uh, hymns and spiritual songs these days. And guess what is the number one? Once again, it's my way. My way. My way. And as long as people will do things their way, Without any thought of God, any thought of what comes next, that there is something else that when we die, it isn't the end. You're going to spend together, you're going to spend forever somewhere, either with God or without God. And that's the choice. That's the choice we have. Mark Twain, the American philosopher and poet, he said this If a man doesn't want to believe, No man's going to make him. No man is going to make him. It is only when you are convicted and convinced by God, the Holy Spirit, that you have a need of a saviour. And this is exactly what Peter and John are doing. And it's nothing new. It's nothing new, this ignorance, this arrogance and ignorance. It's not new at all. Go back to Job, the oldest book in the Bible. And Job, if you think you're having a bad time, you read Job and you'll feel so much better. But Job went through the mill, my word he did. And he's questioning God, as you would do. And, and you know, I please, and I say this with the greatest respect, 
It is okay to question God. Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why I'm going through this. Why this is happening. Why they've done that and she's done that and so on and so on. I don't understand. There's things we don't understand. And God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your ways, says the Lord. And here's Job. He's looking for answers. And the Lord says to him this. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job, you haven't got a clue. Just trust me. You're living in ignorance, Job. Listen. And then in the whole of Job and 38, you read Job in chapter 38 and 9 when you get home. Don't read it just before your lunch. We won't enjoy your lunch, I don't think. But you go and read it. And God's saying, look, I am almighty God. And Job, sadly, you're ignorant. You haven't got a clue. Well, back in Jerusalem, Peter throws them a lifeline. I just love Peter. He he just, you know, they just don't throw something at them and abandon them. He's giving them a lifeline. And I didn't realize at the time, but... This ties in so well with our message tonight when we, God willing, we look at um, Exodus 33. But this is it. Peter's giving them a lifeline. And we find there um, in verse 19 of Acts and chapter 3, we see this. There's a way out. Therefore, repent and be converted of your sins. Converted of your sins that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I know you've done this, says Peter. I know what your forefathers do. And I know what you're doing today. You're ignorant as they were. But I'm giving you a lifeline because I've explained to you exactly what has happened. Repent of your ignorance. Believe and receive Christ as your saviour. And I close with this. In the 1980s, this country, United Kingdom, along with many countries in the world, was facing an unprecedented epidemic. And that uh, epidemic was of the disease of AIDS. And they didn't know what to do. And the government, the health officials got together and uh, they came up with a plan. And... They then approached the Prime Minister of the time, Margaret Thatcher, who gave the consent of the government to back a publicity campaign with the slogan was this. And it said simply, it was on the sides of our buses, it was on our televisions, it was on leaflets, and it said simply this, AIDS, don't die of ignorance. Now, Peter's campaign was far, far more serious, as serious as this situation was. And Peter's message is this. Sin, don't die in ignorance. Don't die spiritually in ignorance. The world, us today, wherever we are, we have a choice. And I want to leave the last words with John. The beloved John, John, the disciple who Jesus loved, the very one who uh, was entrusted, and we mentioned this the other week at Easter, with uh, mother, the mother of Jesus, Mary. 
And John says this in that first chapter, and I leave these words with John. He, that is Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. We have this every Christmas, don't we? A baby born in a stable, God in a cow shed. How can this be? How can the saviour of the world, we want a soldier. We want another uh, Caesar who will conquer. But they didn't know. He came to his own. And his, he, he was in the world and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many, oh I love this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. If we were to read on, and uh, God willing, you'll find out, I think, uh, when it comes to uh, chapter 4 in the next series, or when we're looking at Acts, you'll see that the follow-on from Peter's message is that uh, there was another 5,000 added. Their ignorance was put aside. He came to his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him. And my last words today is, have you received him? And if not, what stops you? Will you receive him? Don't die in ignorance. The Lord bless his word to us even now.